This is part two of the struggles I'm having with uh, my landlord, the um, world in relating to the world insurance associates, um, Cigna complaint, and um, what's the other one? Uh, my stolen flash drive case um, and uh, that science company in Wisconsin that is so nefarious how could anybody trust them with their help um, they're evil they have very evil um, a very evil CEO as far as I'm concerned. So here's the recording. It starts, um, I gotta explain, it starts after I spent like 20 minutes or more on the phone with another representative and he transferred me to uh, the person that I needed to talk to for um, my, uh, uh, for my case. So, this is it. He's a very nice person. His name is Joe, but, um, the corruption in Cigna is unbelievable. And he has to preserve the institution, so to speak, that he works for. So, um, uh, this is how he handled it. So I have to start another recording because um, they're using sub apps to uh, stop pauses. And, um, I um, is still on hold, and it's been 15 minutes at least that he's put me on hold for. So, still waiting. This, um, I made an ex explanation with um, my uh, other prior recording. This is a call to Cigna. It's May 24th. And, um, I have to be on hold. So, I've been waiting 15 minutes at least. And, uh, I'm, I still have to be, put this on pause. This has to do with complaint that I submitted back in February, which they never friggin' responded to. And then saying that the guy is like an out-of-network um, dentist. First they sent me a fucking letter saying, oh, it's going to take a while because he doesn't have a fucking tax ID number. Is that my problem? They should solve it all the more for that reason. So, yeah, I have a right to be angry. Hello, Mary. Oh, wait. Um, this is Jake again. I have a supervisor in the line here. His name is Joe. 
money back. I prepaid. Because I thought Dr. Lerman was uh, sincere and, um, and also very nice. Because he told me everything he was doing when he was doing it, when he was working on my um, root canal. This, uh, this guy, he didn't tell me Dr. he was Lerman doing that did the Excuse me? It was Dr. Lerman that did the service? Dr. Lerman did the root canal. And Dr. Lerman and Dr. Chow were listed as the um, dentists in charge. Uh, they, they were, um, there were no other dentists listed in their website. And when I asked them, who is this Dr. Barker? He said his name was Dr. Barker. And, um, and they said, oh, well, he's, a uh, he, he's, um, he's been with our, our office for over a year now. He's on the payroll. That's what the, um, the manager said. I did not pay that dentist. I paid one Long Wharf Dental. I was referred to one Long Wharf Dental by Cigna as an in-network provider. And they're dividing it all up as fraud. So I, I want my money back and um, I also need to see a dentist that will take out what he did and replace it. Close went through because they're out of network, so signals aren't getting involved. The last update was on. This is fraud. Do you understand? I went to one long warp because I was referred by Cigna for an in network provider. They cannot divide it up. I did not pay. When they processed my payment, it went to one long warp. It did not go to any Dr. Barker or whatever his name is. And when, and um, the only letter I got from Cigna was one that said, oh, this is, this is going to take us more time to process because he doesn't have a tax ID number. He doesn't have a tax ID number. That means he doesn't have a social security number. And that validates my suspicion that he was do working for CIA and he has a fake name. So, um, that's... Well, the data service, Q3 2022, was built by a Dr. Hollick, Matthew Hollick. And that's fraud. I don't even Not know who that dentist is. They have him part of their office, but they don't have a credential to say... No, th that's you fraud. explain to our IP team that the... happened, that you went there, and they gave you a doctor that because you've gone to Dr. Lerman at that same office... And this doctor that they have you seen with, and then so the only thing I can actually do That's is send my IFP update. It's just fraud. I did not pay any Dr. Hollick. I paid one Long Wharf Dental Group. That's what who I'm trying the to explain is Dr. Hollick is a part of the group. So Dr. Hollick, even though it's the name of the office, they have other doctors that are there. Well, it's the fraud for, the, for me to be referred to that group and say that they're in network and then and then so make me see an out-of-network dentist? They probably canceled the contract.
and screw me. I too bad that I don't know that. And I think that's fraud. So and then and for them to say that the, this Dr. Barker didn't have any tax ID number is ridiculous. There's no Dr. Barker listed under your claim. I don't have anything built with Dr. Barker's information. I have Dr. The only one that I'm showing with this office was built by Dr. Waholic. I didn't even know him, let alone have anything to do with him. He's a credentialed doctor with this. Do you know what it means to pay for something? A payment? A service and a payment is a contract. And in order to, for the contract to be fulfilled, you have to know who the other person is, who the other party is. I'm the payer. They are the ones, the, the, the uh, person that gives the service is the, uh, is, uh, um, is the contractor. So, so that's it. You know, I don't know that other person. This is clearly a fraudulent situation. And plus I, can, I, was, I can address it to our IFP team to let them investigate because there's nothing more I can do. Because well, I, this is, I need any documentation. I need a response to my complaint because what they're doing is they're pancaking fraud on top of it. Did they tell me, oh, no, we're not going to take your complaint because he's an out-and-hour dentist? No, they did not. They added that on there and they're frauding records. So it's very clear what they're doing. The they told me that they told me it was gonna take two weeks. They told then they told me it was gonna take thirty days. Then they told me, Oh well, we can't find his I tax ID number, it's gonna take longer. They're just trying to make up crap to just uh make me disappear so they made up crap about that dentist and being out of network they could have told me that right to begin with that's my point when you went for the service when i called when i called cigna they could have told me and then i could have gone back to that dentist and say you're frauding because I don't even know that dentist, and you're supposed to be an in-network provider. So that's the point. And all I can do is send this over to our individual complaint compliance team to let them know what your experience was and tell them what happened. That they, when you went to the office, evidently they gave you a doctor that's not contracted, but under your impression was he like, was they contracted, and they frauded records and and whatever the case. He, I was told that one Longworth Dental was an in-network provider. That's what I was told. I wasn't told uh, this dentist and that dentist. And One Long Wharf's networks, um, or One Long Wharf's website only had two dentists listed, Dr. Chow and Dr. Worman. So, so that's the problem. It's fraud. They're going to have me see a new dentist in their office. They have to tell me, oh, well, this dentist is not 
not work. They not only did not tell me that, but Cigna didn't, which leaves me to the conclusion that they frauded records to make them out of network to, to, um, to use as an excuse to just get rid of my complaint. Because they were, they should have known that to begin with. When I called, they um, they did not say he was not in network. And I made it very clear who the dentist was. And they also called. They also called. They also called the office. And they didn't come up with a different. Holic name. I don't even know who that dentist is. So I paid one long wharf. I paid one long wharf. I was told they were in network. Why the hell would I even want an out of network dentist? This guy was a bozo. Why would I even care about him? Uh, you know, I mean, he he was horrible. So why would I do that? He was obviously a CIA operative, and that's why everybody's frauding records and protecting him. The point is, I filed, and they did not tell me to begin with that he, that there was um, this was an out-of-network dentist. And that's the first thing they have to check, besides the fact that my insurance was paid. And that was another thing. Somebody at Cigna stopped my auto pay. And I did not get any notifications in the mail. That's fraud also. Fortunately, a Cigna employee told me on the 7th. And I was able to get it reinstated. That was the date they were going to stop my insurance. Without telling me. So she told me. And I had no idea. Then somebody planted um, two letters from Cigna in my apartment. Um, and I opened the envelopes and it said that they were notifying me that my insurance was going to be canceled if I didn't pay. Do you know how fraudulent that is? I mean, the dentist's office would have told me. They check my insurance card every time I go in there. And they make sure that it's up to date. If there was a payment passed due, they would have told me. So this is completely fraudulent, and it's by insiders in Cigna. The CEO is from Waterbury. It can't be more obvious what's going on. Okay, again, all I can do is send over information to the individual team. You can write a letter into Cigna. I, I have sent letter upon letter and faxes upon faxes. It cost me almost $30 to send the last fax because it was 25 pages. So, so you're telling me that I have to keep telling them what they're doing is fraudulent? I mean, I have even just addressed the fact that, that um, I want my money back and I need to see a dentist that will remove the crap that he put in my jaw because I don't know what it is.
that's what that's what I sought for for a resolution. I and 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 the obvious fact that he's a fraud and everything was not anything I even addressed. Because most of the attorneys in Connecticut are frauds. They're liars. They're they're thieves. The the Connecticut Bar Association claims that they can steal anything from anybody if 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 an, a company makes a claim that they owe money. It doesn't matter that the company is as fraudulent as all get out. It doesn't matter. They just use it as an excuse to illegally enter people's apartments and steal from them. It's just out of, it's just completely out of out of control. They're so lawless here. So that's that's what I have up against and I'm up against. And I um by the way, I, in case you don't know, the mayor of Waterbury was a pedophile. He was finally caught well, because that has people... Yes, it does. It has to do with the behavior of your CEO covering up stuff like that. He was about the same age as a mayor. Giordano, look it up. He was finally caught. But he'll probably get out of jail because most of the most of the government is, uh, promotes pedophilia. So the uh, I want I want a response to my complaint. It was very direct. Okay, so what I did was I sent it over explaining you on a written letter and how you feel about Signet with the information and that the fraud happening between not only Signet but the office. And again, they did bill it under that doctor. So I can only go by what the office stated who did the work. But I put that in because when they did the appeal, they said that they could not because they're not a network. I would not, I would not do that. And I would not allow that. I would not allow an out-of-network provider. Correct. And that's what I filed with that as well, explaining when the call took place and what you were advised. I even showed the billing. And they gave you a doctor that's not. I even showed the haphazard billing and the, um, and the office employee said, wow, that, that was the wrong ICD code or whatever that code is called. And she she fixed it. I I'm just so appalled at how negligent everybody is deliberately covering up. It's like September 11th, and all the government employees are covering up for for the government that caused it. It wasn't the Middle East. The Middle East had nothing to do with it. We have a we okay, have a so country that's run by people that don't care about. Get an update. I'm asking for a formal letter to be issued, and I filed the complaint for you. What? Where? Where's the formal letter supposed to go to? Once they update it, they'll send it back. Hey, could you confirm your address so I can put it on there? Post Office Box two zero six five one four, New Haven, Connecticut. Zero six five two zero. One more, wait, one second. I'm sorry, the PO box. One more time, please. Actually, I want it in both places. 
uh, my post office box and my residency because I don't know it, wh you know what what's gonna work. So we have the address, but what was the post office box? Because I missed the beginning of that. I don't have that listed. Two zero six five one four. Zero six five one four New Haven. Got it. Zero six five two zero. And I want a letter sent to my residency also. Zero six five two zero was the zip code. Yes. Connecticut. Okay, I have that, so I will include that and explain to them that you want a letter either to your. I want it to both places. Or that PO box. Because of mail fraud, I want it in both places. So you have my residency, 360 State Street, apartment 719, New Haven, Connecticut, 06510. Correct. Okay. And what and is that? I included the PO box 206514, what is, what is, is 06520. What, what is the um, fax number of the, and the address of the uh, department that you're sending this to? I don't fax it. I go through internal email to our individual compliance team, which is the individual plan distribution. So what is, you, what is what the address? The and then you want a written letter formally from Cigna and investigation open because we gave the office information to you to go to. And then you feel it's fraud with this doctor because you did not ask to see a doctor that was not contracted. Well, Cigna said that the office was uh, uh, was in network. Right, and for some reason, this office doesn't have this particular doctor listed as a con or contracted doctor. So I'm not understanding if they have other doctors, why they would not have included him in the credentialing. Well, if you I look at their that. website, they only have Dr. Chow and Dr. Lerman listed. Correct. And they also have Dr. David Sandick as a periodontist listed. Oh, yeah. I don't even know so him. The ones that I'm showing that are listed with so you. So fraud. What's going on? I went to their office. I didn't go to some kind of rental place where dentists are renting office space.
And that's uh, that that fax number looks familiar also. The two eight six zero is something that I've been using. So you should have all those documents right there uploaded in your system. Correct. And I explained that as well. So how long is it going to take now for me to get I usually get back within seven business days once I hear back from the individual team. And your name is Joe? Joe, J-O-E, correct. And I'm in the Scranton, Pennsylvania office. And you're the call center um, supervisor? Supervisor, correct. Okay. And what is your callback number? 
looking for the cover letter. I have some documents here. March 31st, 2022 was one, okay, I see. one of those times. March 31st. And, um, well, that was probably the one that I had to pay for at Tyco. And there was a page in there um, that showed I had like A-1, A-2, A-3, B-1, and B-2. But I actually blocked out the ones that did not, that were not um, uh, significant to this. And I, um, I uh, showed A-2 and A-3 with the before and after of the tooth. And he literally cut it in half. And that was after I had the root canal. And that is um, a dentist uh, confirmed. Yes, you can tell that it had a root canal.
was it was um, sent at 4:21 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Confirmation received. What was the confirmation number? I'm going to add that to that file. The telephone, uh, the, um, excuse me, the fax number was 859-550-2680. Yes, that's the number it should go to, correct. That's where they mailed it. That's where they faxed it. And it was, it was faxed and what was on the March. confirmation number? Their job number is 8738. Okay, I'm going to put that in there to see because if you sent it in in March, I don't know why it wasn't put into your system. Well, this is inquiry. their job number, and they also sent another one for me. It was to one Long Wharf the same day, and that, that job number was 8740. 8740. Yeah, and okay, that, I'm that copy... I'm going to contact that into the system to let them know what you did as well. I don't sure what the information is in our end. That copy uh, to one Long Wharf was already sent in the fax to okay. Cigna, and um, and then they faxed it for me to uh, one Long Wharf, and it was okay. a demand for payment. They um, for them to um, give me back my five hundred dollars. I mean, I've been more than fair about this, because what they, what's going on here is fraud and assault. So, um, that's very significant. And Dr. Lerman is hiding behind the skirt of the attorneys, obviously. So, um, I, I'm very disappointed in, in how he's handling all this. I even made him an Afghan. I so I told him you did a, you did a good job, and I made him an Afghan. So why why he even did that is like really stupid. I I gave them gifts every time I went in there of stuff that I made. So um, I was trying to be positive. And they turn around and abuse it as an opportunity to stick it to me. I mean, not, not only did Dr. Lerman not t respond right away, he could have he could have called me and said, "Okay, this is what we're gonna do," or whatever. Because I really just wanted Dr. Lerman to evaluate the crap that he did to me and then fix it. That's all, and and then and then it would be, would have been resolved. And they told me I was going to see Dr. Lerman. I went in there on Monday, and they said, um, they said, oh, uh, you know, they they were looking really strange. You know, I mean, I gave them my my. Um, my insurance card and everything, and apparently I was really just screwing everybody over because I paid my insurance. I did not know that they had canceled my auto pay. And fortunately, somebody spoke up and told me that. Nobody told me that before that. Yeah, I don't know about the auto pay unless they're 
stole my purse here in the building. And then they turned around and gave it to the low, to the store that rents uh, um, store space here in this building. And did they even tell me that it was there? Did they even call me? No. And the store is on the opposite side of the wall of the concierge. All they had to do was just um, uh, get the concierge to call me. And they didn't even do that. I just happened to go in the store and say, um, by any chance, is my per could my purse be here? Because it's been missing for a few days. And they said, um, the manager that was working, I knew was going to be somebody that would help me. Then that's the reason why I brought, I noticed him in there. And I, um, that's the reason why I asked him. And then, um, so, so he... Oddly, this is stopped, and I don't know why, except that somebody's probably fucking with this phone. Um, and I don't know if I can uh, recover this. I'll try to. I'm going to put this on pause. It's May 26th, and uh, this video is in regards to the untimely death of uh, Brittany uh, Infinger, I-N-F-A-N-G-E-R. He just did uh, a, a eight-minute update, and I'm recording the update. Uh, and hopefully I can find his other video, which fully explains the investigation. He did a thorough investigation. It was not her fault. Um, two things jump out. Weaponized weather and fraudulent reporting by FAA. Because the tower... They reported the tower to be lower than what it really was. The tower was right friggin' next to their property. And they had every obligation to make sure that the, that was the right height. So this is not an error. I, I believe that she was deliberately murdered because they bomb uh, process food processing plants and maybe um, they're just not getting away with it like they hope they could by playing their devil's chessboard and putting people in places that could give a shit about even investigating so um, that's part of it a big part of it because if they um, kill Brittany then they can blame the food processing plant as if the FAA had nothing to do with it and they had everything to do with it. The, the plant may have had paperwork from the contractor saying that it was a certain night. So there's something really disconnected here and I am really um, shocked 
that um, the Blanco Lirio report hasn't um, raised any concern about this. So um, it, it's obvious that he doesn't want to lose his job and his position with Boeing and blah, blah, blah. So um, I'm not going to find his channel as particularly useful if he's not really caring about the truth. Um, so I, I just want to uh, say that's how I feel right now. So I'm, this is an eight minute, um, video. Friday, April 22, 2022, Dan Greiner, probable cause. As the sun sets on the East Coast, Atlanta, Georgia, I gotta stop and make a quick video. I apologize, and I'm gonna get into exactly what the problem is, but I owe an apology. I made a video about the young lady out in Idaho flying the Cessna 208 caravan and the crash out there last week. Um, I made an error. I'd like to explain what my error was, and I'll truly get into that in just a second. But the memorial for Brittany is tomorrow morning. I have spoken extensively with her father, and I've come to a new realization on that crash. Um, before I get into all that, yes, my YouTube channel once again got hacked for the second time. Um, a whole bunch of videos got dele deleted. I didn't do it. Um, that goes to show you how bad I am at tech. But this is School of Hard Knocks, and I'm learning as I go. I'm a one-man show on just about everything here, so um, I apologize. I'm going to re-upload the ones that I do have on file, which is a good chunk of them since the last time I got hacked. That's going to take me some time to re-upload those. I figured out what happened, and it's my fault, and I'm going to try to do better. But that's it is what it is. I spent the day today in Covington, Georgia. Last night, right about now, there was a twin Cessna that crashed, a fatal crash, November 84 Golf Romeo on runway 10. They did a touch and go on 10. So I went out there today and looked at the crash site, looked at the wreckage, looked at uh, everything I could. And then I got an airplane, I borrowed an airplane, I went and flew over the crash site, looked at it vertically from above and shot some video just to take a look. This is definitely a VMC rollover. The witness, the one witness that I was able to find that was there last night that heard it during the touch and go said that one of the engines he thought it was the right, but he wasn't sure. One of the engines was not producing power or sputtering, and this definitely pulled hard to the right. VMC rollover, that's what you get when the left engine is producing full power and the right engine is producing drag. It rolls you over. So this airplane, I was there at the crash site. This thing definitely hit vertical, and there were no survivors. Two on board, our deepest condolences and respects to that family. I believe the airplane was from New Mexico. I believe they came from Dahlonega, and I think they had a flight instructor on board. It all happens quick. It happens very quick out there, and you have got to totally be ready for that. A lot of comments and chatter. Uh, I want you to know I very much appreciate all the comments and support for the channel. My YouTube channel is just a little over a year old. Um, I have never placed ads on any of my videos. If you're seeing any YouTube ads, I didn't do it, and I don't get the money. I'm not advertising. I'm not monetizing this channel. I don't intend to, and I'm not doing Patreon, and I'm not doing any sponsorship. I 
I want to be able to free, be free to say what I need to say when I want to say it without any constraints or anybody telling me what I can. But he obviously say. isn't Patreon, free. Sponsorships, they had him completely change what he said. It's not a money thing for me. I want to be able to get my message out and say what I need to be able to say. Probably he had a death threat. I am working on a method for getting some financial help uh, for gas money and banjo strings on occasion so that I can keep on making this content. I, I'm going to keep on making whether I get any help or not. If you want to contribute towards it in a tiny, tiny little way, I think that would be totally cool. Not yet, but I'm going to try to figure out a way that uh, if you want to, if you really like the video that I did and you learned something from it and it helped you or helped your son or helped your daughter, then, then and only then could you consider giving a tiny little itty bitty bit, but nothing significant. I don't want to owe anybody anything and I don't want to get into accepting gifts and donations and obligations. So it's going to be small uh, if I do it. I don't need much in the form of help. A little bit of gas money, taco money, banjo money. I, I travel pretty economically and I'm uh, I don't need a lot of fine accommodations when I travel and work on these videos, but I would like to do a lot more work in the future on more videos for he the did a great video so on investigating I, her. I know I had a couple people as of last week started a GoFundMe. I called them up right away, told them to take it back down. I don't want to GoFundMe. I don't want. I don't want any. I don't want to participate in any of that. And all I want you to know is that I appreciate you even considering. GoFundMe is a corrupted website. Expenses. They um, should have been taken down. But this it's country is lawless. We raise money Hang for tight. people um, that aren't even dead, exactly and they yet, say they're dead. Bunch of stuff in the pike coming out that I am crazy busy with. It's 24 hours a day. Uh, and then on top of that, the tech stuff that I got to do and everything else, and I'm not a tech guy, so I am inundated. I'm doing everything I can. Let's get back to Brittany and Finger out in Idaho, the 208 crash. I made a video, and I said that this was pretty cut and dry. I said, look, MDA was 408 feet above the airport. The tower that she hit was located below that. Obviously, she busted MDA. She cheated on the approach, and she busted MDA. Not true. I want you to know, not true. If you look at it, now you're going to say, Dan, how is that possible? MDA is 408, and the tower is located below 408. She hit the tower. She busted minimums. I'm going to explain all that, but it's a very, very important lesson for all of us, how she legally hit a tower. Brittany did everything right. Now that I've looked at it and studied it in detail, I've mapped it out, I've drawn it out, I've got all the data, I've, I'm going to show you exactly what she did and exactly what happened. In the meantime, you can be thinking about that. How is that possible to hit a tower below MDA and be in the right doing it? The funeral service for Brittany is tomorrow and uh, Saturday out in uh, Idaho. That family is devastated, and rightly so. I have called, I have talked to Jim Bob. Uh, Brittany's dad at length over and over and over again. I have apologized with a heartfelt apology. Jim Bob has accepted my apology. We're friends and I promised him that I would do everything I could to alert others to what the gotcha was out there that Brittany could not have known about. She could not. It's not her fault. She did cheat and she did bust minimums and I'm going to explain how that 
all that is possible, but not tonight. I got to get this up and on the air because I am absolutely bamboozled here. I've been out all day long, and I'm sunburned, and I'm needing a cheeseburger. If you can, tomorrow morning, stop and take a moment. Uh, about 10 a.m. Mountain Time uh, is the memorial funeral service for the Infinger family for Brittany out there. If you can stop it uh, uh, for a moment, that'd probably be good, and I'd appreciate that. For my tiny little itty bitty fledgling YouTube channel, Dan Ryder, probable cause. Uh, the date of this is April 23rd. Um, it looks like They destroyed his hour video, one hour video. Um, I'm looking for it and I can't find it. Yeah. Probably why he started this video out with I'm sorry, etc. To satisfy the scumbags that, um, okay, here it is. It's an hour and one minute. So I am going to end this recording and play this whole thing because I, they will take this down. Um, the video is titled, I hope you dance. The true story of why she pushed. So, um, I'm so glad that I have this. It was taken off my blog post and even out of my notes. And my notes were all mixed up. So, that's just what they do. That's CIA. Definitely. And there's a lot of dirtbag government employees that work for CIA. So, Edward Snowden worked for CIA. People don't understand where the problem is. Edward Snowden was part of the problem. He actually divulged so much, over a million files including how to access the deep web, which actually um, resulted in the formation of a criminal web called the Silk Road. People were murdered, they, uh, lots of drugs everywhere to fulfill, you know, to help feed the criminal crimes, uh, the Clinton crime syndicate. So, um, so that's uh, what resulted. The creator of Silk Road was supposedly given life imprisonment. He should have gotten the death penalty, but they, um, I think the state that they heard it in did not allow the death penalty. He probably snuck out the back door. 
They may have made a clone on him. So our world is getting less and less safer because of these um, technology tactics that are just going totally unchecked. When they have power like that, they should not be allowed to use any of it unless they stringently report what they're doing and when. But that's not what's happening. It's a criminal underground. So, and the CIA has been doing a lot of criminal things for a long time. Um, and I have shared some things even about my own uncle, who was probably a CIA operative. He stole my social security number so that he could evade from paying taxes. Rich! He purchased a brand new Mercedes Benz for his wife. For what? So she could go to the grocery store? I mean, get real. And um, he uh, already had a Rolls Royce. So um, that saved him literally thousands of dollars. And he aggressively told me that I could not look for a job around there. Although he promised me that um, he would support my, you know, efforts in securing a, a good job so that I could, you know, uh, live there. I did not want to go back to New York State. It's, I, I, I was um, almost murdered and I never got my rights. I didn't even get a, a decent lawsuit settlement and my own brothers uh, cheated um, my father, when my father quit claimed my store to him, I never got the $12,000 just to break even. So there's a lot of really awful things. And I thought I had siblings that would never sabotage me. But I had a brother that actually killed my father and bragged about it and said that it was a spiritual experience. So he did not even like my father talking, and I was so confused. I, my head was spinning. I was in trauma. Um, and when he said that, I should have asked my father right then and there, is Tom trying to kill you? So, um, I, but it was not a safe situation. If he just said yes, my brother probably would have smothered him. So, um, and it got away with it. So, um, that's what the situation is. And really, people don't take any chances because this country is being upheaved. And until all of our businesses are owned by decent companies outside of this country, I don't see a solution. Because Washington, D.C. is a complete criminal crime syndicate. And nobody, it, there's, there's hardly anything being done about it. So they should all be um, served... Um, with arrest papers, 
uh, indictments. And actually, Jeff Session had um, tens of thousands of sealed indictments after they took down Alpha Bay, which was created after um, the Silk Road was taken down. You don't think they were, weren't going to, you know, just come back and with even more of an aggressive, uh, you know, uh, storefront. There were actually 61,000 storefronts attached to this uh, dark web. They called it the dark web because it just was, you know, um, a way of distinguishing it from the deep web, which was uh, just, uh, it was secret, you know, material that only uh, specific people had um, a right to even look at. And they also had to have a top security clearance. So, um, so that's the situation now. And I am going to create um, a recording of that because they may really harm this man even more and take down that, that, uh, report. And it's an hour long, thank God. So I'm going to record it. So this, uh, this is about 20 minutes. I'm going to end this now. It's May 26th and I'm going to, uh, play the video on um, Chelsea, Brittany, and Fanger. I'm not sure how to pronounce her last name. It's I-N-F-A-N-G-E-R of Salmon, uh, Idaho. She delivered packages for UPS at the time of her death. Uh, she was flying a Cessna 208B which was registered to Gem Air, that's G-E-M as in Mac. Um, and the processing plant was called Gem State Processing Plant. Um, she'd been a pilot for 11 years and uh, the uh, accident occurred at Burley Municipal Airport but it was, she hit a tower of the processing plant, which was right near the airport. Um, the Minidoka County Examiner was the ones that were the coroner's office, you know, and there's no mention of that that report to any detail um and or you know that it just exists and um the um uh what do I want to say the uh her um plane was flying at a dangerous airport operation although uh, it was approved by UPS and 
the FAA, etc. But it was uh, known in pilot circles to be a dangerous airport. But then again, she was a, a, a well-skilled pilot. Um, she served a mission for the Mormon Church. And she graduated from Utah. She was a valedictorian of her high school class and probably valedictorian of the um, state university, too. Uh, although... The pandemic forced the school to shut down, literally shut down. Now, I don't know why she didn't go to Brigham Young, because they're Mormons. Um, and uh, no mention of that. Um, they may have had their own reservations, uh, but just wanted to be connected with good people. And, and there are pretty good people in the church is just that they're very controlled it's a very controlling church and I mean it was formed by a, a fraud James Smith um, Jim Bob Infanger is what the way the article referred to her father his name is James Robert so um, and he's the president of Ray's Heating which uh was incorporated in 2008 and probably purchased from his father. Uh, his father had passed away. Um, I, I can't remember what, what the uh, year was, but he probably retired and handed the um, company over to him. Um, and... Um, a really curious thing is her brother, E.J. Infanger, died when he was only 28. And he had two children, married. Um, and there's nothing about the cause of death. So, I think that's very weird, but that area... Every time I try to search on anything, the, it says the server is down and nothing comes up. So, um, I can't, I can't access anything as far as uh, any possible news articles about a car accident. I searched on that. I searched to see if he was a pilot. I searched to, um, to see if he um was murdered um not specifically though um i think it was just cause of death nothing came up he just he disappeared i mean it just was weird stuff and he worked for mitt romney so that's all i could find on him which kind of like really strange um so what i'm going to do is i'm going to start this uh recording because this is an hour uh and i'm going to move it in a little bit 
just to cut trim a little time off. Lucky break. Might be on the right track. I'm trying to figure out how tall that tower was that she hit. I think they just put the tower up. Didn't tell anybody. Then they claimed it was 80 feet. I think it was a lot more than 80 feet. But I'd like to find the tower and measure it. I think I'm on the right track. This is definitely the tower that Brenda hit. We'll get them up close. This is the impact mark on this. This is some strong metal. I don't know what kind of steel this is, but this is a strong stuff. Um, I need to find out the length of each of these sec sections. So I need a measuring tape, like, real fast. At a hardware store, Haber, Idaho, I found a tape measure. I think this is going to work. There we go. Let's go measure these things. Thing. This is definitely the piece that Brittany hit. Here's the light. The light that they were required to have. That's this right here. It's not much of a light. It's not much of a light. Now back here in Atlanta, Georgia, I brought the light with me. Boy, are they going to be mad. I looked at it out there. The bulb is all glazed over. It's supposed to be a white, high-intensity flashing strobe light to alert pilots 24 hours a day of this steel structure that's exactly on the path. The path was on the red over white. The airport used to have a glide slope from a VASI. They used to have one, but when the FAA figured out what they had done, that was part of their complaint that if you flew the VASI red over white, you'd hit the tower. So what was their answer? They chopped the wires going to the VASI. No more VASI. That's how come the approach plate doesn't make any sense today. The approach used to have a VASI. But when I got up there and I found this, I, I looked inside of this thing. I don't know, maybe you can tell. Is this a white, high-intensity strobe light? It looks like LEDs. Maybe it's white and they flash really bright. I don't know. So the only thing I could think of was to bring it home and try it. That's what we're about to do now. And uh, if you hook up this little wire right here, turns out it's a red light. And that's all it is. It's steady red. Doesn't flash. On top of that, these wires were never hooked up. This, never, this tower never had a light on it at all. And now you may be wondering, 
Why is Dan so wrapped around the axle over this entire thing? First of all, this family did not call me. I called them to fix something. Hi, Jim. Uh-huh. Uh, Jim, my name is Dan Greider, and your office just gave me your cell number, and I apologize for calling, but I I have some information that I'd like for you to have. This appears to be a pilot who busted minimums, who cheated, who went low in approach and hit a tower. That is not the case. The tower was not supposed to be there. The tower got constructed after the approach was built. The tower stuck up directly into the approach path. It was considered an obstruction. When the FAA went and did their obstruction analysis later, they determined that there were seven towers directly in the flight path, a very short final, that exceeded all tolerances. And they let the city know that, they let the county know that, they published that, but they never did anything about it. They never turned the approach off, and there was no notum. The light that was supposed to be on there, the white flashing light, that wasn't, that didn't happen. There was supposed to be an extended displaced threshold. None of that ever happened. When you heard me say that Brittany didn't do anything wrong, I fully believe that now because I just came from Burley, and ironically, I was out there on a morning where the conditions still, even late, this late in the spring, I, I flew this LNAV 2-0 approach in a blinding snowstorm. It was visibility one in snow, and I've got the video footage. I'm going to show you that. I flew it in a Cessna 210 uh, with Garmin equipment so I can show you the glide slope and what the glide slope does. This is a fascinating study. This is not me trying to write the name of a family's daughter. This is me trying to show you that our FAA, we have, we have to trust the integrity of the FAA and the procedures that they produce for us pilots because we fly around in the clouds where we can't see anything. We have to be able to trust FAA's work and publications to know that there are no obstacles sticking up in the path that we're going to run into. This is not the case at Burley, Idaho. There was an obstacle. Nobody knew about it. The FAA didn't do anything about it. Brittany did not know about it, and her airplane hit exactly. She was exactly on her path and struck this tower. This this is a tough one. This is going to be a long video. I've put three and a half weeks worth of work into this. I had to extend releasing this video because I decided to go out to Burley and shoot this footage myself. So let's get into this. I'm, I'm more fired up over this than I've ever been in a long time. This is going to be a significant video, and I hope that the FAA sits up and pays attention and realizes exactly what they did, because not only did they not do anything, they allowed this accident to happen with full knowledge, and you're going to hear the recordings of the people that I talked to on this video. It's going to be ugly, but I'm going to go ahead and play it anyway, because this is really bad, and I'm probably going to hear about it over this light, but... That's not the worst of it. Somebody died over this. That's what we should be hearing about. If they need, I can go ahead and send their life back because I've figured out everything I need to know. It's a steady red for my tiny little itty-bitty fledgling YouTube channel. Let's get into this. My name's Dan Greider. You're watching Probable Cause. We do know that there's a tower and a plane hit the tower, yep. Well, you know that there's a tower and that Gem State is getting ready to put the same tower back up again. 
they're putting it back in the same place to the same height. It's going to be just as unsafe as the last time. The only problem is now you know about it. And I already, I'm sorry, I already forgot your name. Tony. Tony, what was your last name, Tony? Morley. You had to think for a second there, didn't you? Yes. Yes. Well, you're on a recorded line, Tony, and this tape is going. I kind of thought so. Yeah, this tape is. Who are you, Dan? Who do you work with, Dan? I work with myself. You're not affiliated with anybody at all? I am not affiliated with anybody at all. This is where Tony was sitting when I called him. He didn't really want to give me his last name. He's the city administrator, city of Hayburn. They authorized putting those towers up illegally. And this is where Tony's office is, city of Hayburn. Hayburn, Idaho. It sounds Come like on, Tony. he said his last name was Mormon. Tony Mormon. <laughs> So he's probably a Mormon. City Hall, Burley, Idaho. There's just one name that keeps on popping up in all the correspondence, in all the wrongdoing. City Hall Administrator Mark Mitten. That's his office in there. City Hall, Mark Mitten. So, all right, so um, let's see, we don't handle the approaches out of this office. Um, that is actually handled out of our flight procedures office in the air traffic organization. So we would need to basically contact them um, regarding this, but um, again, without uh, without having uh, Steve here with more background on his 2016 letter, um, I can't really uh, I can't really speak to what he had uh, what he said in the letter and the, the status uh, at that point. But Mark um, Mitten you know, and is, uh, uh, EJ brother Romney. Take a look at this and, and verify. Okay, well, I want the obstruction that the obstructions were uh, looked at. Yes, and tell me your name again. Uh, my name is Chuck Garrison. And you're with the FAA? Yes. All right, Chuck, I, I just want to inform you, I'm recording our call, and I intend to play it on my YouTube channel. You are the FAA. I am a citizen. I am duly notifying you of a dire emergency. You have a certified approach out there in existence, and the next pilot is going to fly it, and the same thing's going to happen to them that happened to Brittany. I don't care who you have to call. At this point, I have notified Chuck Garrison at the FAA there is a problem, and I've clearly explained to you exactly what happened, and this conversation is now permanent record with your name stamped on it. This is going to go on YouTube, and the world is going to see what is going on. I recommend a bunch of phone calls to turn this approach off, or with one notum, you can decommission this approach 
immediately until further study is completed, but you cannot leave this approach on for the next victim to fly into this approach path. Do you, un you understand what I'm saying here? Yes, sir. I would get very busy if I were you because your name is now stamped all over this. There's going to be another dead body on this. The approach is not safe. It's not the FAA's fault. The potato plant built their structures after the FAA built the approach. Now, now your problem is you know about it. You definitely know about it. It is do the math on it. It's completely insane. I've never seen an approach with this kind of obstruction sticking up into the path, and all you guys wanted to do was cutting off their funding. This approach needs to be turned off. This isn't a money thing. This is a death thing. This is how people die in airplanes, and we just proved that. Okay. Thank you very much. Take a trip beyond your backyard. Compare your way there. Find the smartest credit cards for you on NerdWallet. I mean, taking off out of Burley, you have, you have hardly no places to land if you have an engine failure. Unfortunately, every time okay. I try to right. pause this, it will not pause. It's my buddy it Doug. We're on his 210. I've been so up all night in Salt Lake City late last night, and it's snowing. These conditions right now are just about exactly what Brittany was facing. You can see it's the pellets rigged. coming down. We're not flying in this, because Doug. Normally it does uh, but uh, we are going to uh, wait for the weather to clear a little bit, and then Doug... And I are going to rig the 210. It's got a Garmin 750 in there, so we're going to get in that thing. And it is cold out here. Uh, right now, I'm needing a shower and a shave and brush my teeth uh, because I slept in Motel 6, known as the Ford F-150, last night. And uh, I'm a little bit on the uh, weary side. So I'm going to get a shower and shave, wait for the weather to clear for a second. Doug, you think we can do this? Uh, if the weather improves. Tell me what you think of the Burley Airport. Uh, I've been southern Idaho my entire life and yeah. and I actually took my written exam from the flight service station at Burley in 1972 when when the flight service station right. issued the written exams and Burley is by far the most wicked airport of any airport in southern Idaho especially for IFR arrivals they don't have approach in there that, that is not anywhere close to FAA standards it does it exceeds all those standards and your LMAV approach with all those obstacles sticking up, unlit obstacles sticking up into the approach path is just astounding to me. I mean, I can't believe it. Well, and there's obstacles all around that airport over there. They're, yeah. not, they're just not on the approach. They're all around. If you lose an engine on takeoff, you don't have a lot of choices to put it down. Yeah, but the ironic thing is they, they built the approach and then, and then constructed the obstacles up underneath them and, and never did anything about it. The obstacles that I saw last night, I was there in the middle of the night. The obstacles I saw last night, a bunch of them, and they're directly on the approach path, well inside the final approach and well inside the step-down fix. I mean short final. Short final is where all these obstacles are. Well, and those same obstacles uh, provide a real challenge for takeoffs in a low-powered airplane yeah. uh, taking off to the east because you've got to... You can't go straight. You've got to start turning to avoid smokestacks and towers. And Yeah, even a VFR departure, FAA requires a 20 to 1 slope. All those obstacles totally penetrate the 20 to 1 slope. It, it's a, it's absurd. It's right exactly on the path. Doesn't matter if you're IFR departure or VFR departure off of runway 2, or if you're an IFR arrival off of 2-0. The whole thing is insane. And uh, let's, let's jump in an airplane and go look at it. Okay, let's do it.
let's jump in an airplane and go look at it. But before we do that, you're going to have to suffer through some math and what comes after math. It's always the aftermath. we got to do some math because I got to wonder on an uh, approach like this, LNAP 2.0. It's got no plus B. It's not an LPV. It's not an ILS. It's got no glide slope. However, vertical guidance is definitely provided to the pilot flying a G1000 caravan. Here it is. Here's a picture of it. If you can see this purple diamond on the right here, that's what we used to call the poor man's glide slope. It gives you an advisory glide slope all the way down, even though there is no plus B, there is no vertical guidance supplied. So on any non-precision approach, there's only one step down fix allowed between the final approach fix and the missed approach point. And this approach happened to have one. My question became, did the approach angle change at the step down fix? I didn't know, so I had to get out a pencil and a ruler and scratch my head and do some trigonometry. And I'm going to show you that next. Uh, this section is going to take just a second to step through the math, but I want to show you why this is important. The approach path definitely didn't change. It did change, and that's how come I wanted to go fly it. I wanted to go see, after I did the math, I wanted to go see what the airplane would actually do. And sure enough, the approach path actually changes. So let's check out this here, suffer through the math. We'll get to the aftermath, which is actually the flying here in just a second. Here goes your uh, Dan's math lesson. Let's get into this. All right, so here we are in, uh, I got this diagram drawn here on the board. This is my on-screen graphics, and this took a little while to draw, but the first thing I'm going to talk about with my magic pointer here is CDFA and CAMPA. This is constant descent, final approach, and CAMPA. It's coming from Advisory Circular 120-108. So this is an a, a, uh, this is a FAA publication. It used to be called CAMPA, which is called Constant Angle Non-Precision Approach. This is constant, constant angle non-precision approach. Now they call it CDFA, which is the same thing. The thing that we have in common here is the C. It used to be CAMPA, now it's CDFA. You can read all about it in the advisory circular. But the whole word centers around the concept of constant, a constant angle approach. What does constant angle do for us? That's a stabilized approach. The days of dive and drive are supposed to be over. So we're supposed to have a constant angle. What I've gotten drawn out on the board here is the LNAV 2-0 to Burley. KB, uh, Burley. I can't remember what the uh, designation. Burley, Idaho. You can look it up. Uh, BLI, BR, I don't know. <laughs> it's supposed to be a constant angle. So my question was, and what I got to thinking about, is this a constant angle? And I couldn't figure it out. So what I had to do was I took trigonometry, and there's a thing called Sokotoa. Sokotoa. This is sine, cosine, and tangent. The question is, if you have an approach that has two segments on it, does the approach angle change? So I drew this all out here, and it starts with the runway. The runway at Burley, Idaho, has a displaced threshold of 305 feet, but they published a threshold crossing height of 37 feet. So basic math here, I'm taking the, touch, the published touchdown zone, adding 37, and I get 4189. So I've defined a point in space 4189, now that's MSL, 4189, and it goes all the way back out here to the last step down fixed, which is Jamad, 4800 MSL. My question the whole time is, if an airplane is flying down here, what is the angle that they're descending at? Now, from this point to here, the final approach fix, 
is Hiklo, final approach fix, that's at 6,000. Jamad is at 4,800 feet. So all we have to do is figure out that this is now a right triangle. This distance here is 20,660 feet. How do we know that? It's because the approach plate tells us it's 3.4 nautical miles from Jamad to, to Hiklo. Well, 3.4 is at 6,076 feet per nautical mile. 20,660. So now I know two, two of these things. I know that this is 20,660. I take 4,800, subtract from 6,000, and I know that this is 1,200. But that still doesn't tell me what the angle is. The way we do that is because of inverse tangent, we take this divided by this, and it gives us this number. The inverse tangent, because tangent is adjacent, is opposite over adjacent, the inverse tangent of 1200 over 20,660 is this, and it comes out to 3.32 degrees. That's the only number that I want here. This approach angle is 3.32 degrees. Now, from the next phase, this is where it transitions here to the next phase. If you notice in the diagram here, I have not only the runway dr drawn, but in my horrible on-screen graphics here, I also have the Snake River, and I also have the potato plant drawn right here. The distance from the final approach fix to the stack, which was hit, was 2,632 feet. The important thing to notice is that the actual elevation, the base elevation of the potato plant sits up 18 feet higher than the runway does. So you're already gaining 18 feet. The property in Hayburn, just across the river, the Snake River, from this airport is uphill quite a bit, just from here down to the water. About 15 to 18 feet, something like that. And then you gotta walk uphill got to walk uphill to get up to this grade. So I'm thinking that the plant itself, the ground sits probably about 20 feet up above touchdown zone elevation in the first place. So they got that going against them from square one. Now, the, the stack that was hit was 100 feet above elevation, which puts it actually 118 AGL right here. So I've done the math. Now my question was, if this angle right here is 3.32 degrees, what is this angle here? Once again, we can use tangent, inverse tangent. I want to know what this number is. If this is unknown, I know that from this point to this point is a sum total of 1.6 nautical miles that's 9,721 feet, and I know that the altitude lost is 4,800 all the way down to 4,189. So we can do that math and determine that this is now 611. If this is 611 and this is 9,721, uh, we just do division. 611 divided by 9,721 is 0.06. The inverse tangent of 0.06 is 3.59 degrees. Now we've come across something useful. Now we've determined that the new approach angle is 3.59 degrees. Why is that significant? Because it changed from 3.32 to 3.59. The only other line that we've got drawn here is 3.75. This is the VASI. I used to have a VASI here, and it was set at 3.75 degrees. But the VASI hasn't been operative for four or five years, so there's no VASI to follow. This stack that got hit at 118 feet here 
was sitting only 2,632 feet off the end of the runway. Now, let's go back to what we have in the cockpit. When you're flying an opposition approach, the FAA wants, to, uh, wants us to fly a stabilized approach, non-precision, stabilized approach. That means a constant angle. Well, they threw Brittany a curveball. They changed the angle right here. In the cockpit, you have a gizmo on the G1000 right here that gives you what we used to call a poor man's glide slope. It's not an ILS glide slope, it's not an LPB glide slope, it's not a certified glide slope, it's advisory only, but it still gives you a very good idea of whether you're high or low. So if you're on speed, checklist complete, and this is centered, you know that you should be good. What the Garmin does is it snaps a chalk line between here and here, and it figures out both left and right, and up and down, and it gives you a diamond to follow. Some people call this uh, different airplanes, different FMS, different configurations. You can call it a diamond, a snowflake, there's all kinds of different names for this thing. But the G1000, I'm going to show a picture of it on the screen right now. Here's the actual G1000 inside the Caravan 208. Here's the, the picture of it right now showing this. So on this part of the approach, Brittany would have had the diamond stabilized dead center. What happens when she got to 4,800 feet and her approach angle changed? She went from 3.32 to 3.59 degrees, which is a steeper approach. Her display, her diamond right here, would have gone to the very bottom right here, telling her to nose over and dive the airplane to attempt to catch it. When the G1000 gets to here, it snaps a new chalk line between here and here, recalculates a new vertical path. So in essence, when you get here, you're going to push the nose of the airplane over to try to attempt to catch this glide slope. Now this would be like trying to fly an ILS where the glide slope angle changes every two miles. The purpose of an ILS is a constant glide slope all the way in. That's, that's how come ILS works so good. This approach dove the airplane right here. Brittany's path dove down right here and you can see that the stack is only 3,800 feet to the MDA, another 3,200 feet to get to the stack. Flying time at 90 knots, which was probably, she was probably just slightly faster than 90, was less than 25 seconds to get to MDA, and then from there, 21 seconds to get to the stack. So her approach path would have put her right into the stack, and it's interesting to note that the stack that got hit was exactly dead center. I mean, could not be any more perfect on center line, left, right, off this approach. Here's a picture of where the airplane was found. Here's the stack, and if you do the math on this, the top of this stack compared to the G1000 vertical path is a mere few feet off of this. There's not very much difference. So if you had a pappy set up on this showing you red over white for this line, you could have been red over white and still hit the stack. That's what's totally incredible about this. The total distance from here to here is 7,089. From the stack to the, to the missed approach point, from the stack to the threshold crossing height right here was only 17 seconds of flying. You're on a very, very short final dealing with a stack that's in essence 120 feet AGL 
in your approach path. The other contributing factor is the fact that the stack is also obscured by smoke. MDA would have been 4560. The old days of dive and drive would have allowed you to come down here and stay at MDA until you intercept the 3.75. However, no one's teaching dive and drive before, and even if this company, Gem State that operated the caravan, even if they were teaching dive and drive, they could not have used dive and drive because the Bassey is, is no longer in service. It's not here. So there's, there's how we use trigonometry, basically tangent, inverse tangent to derive an angle. And the critical thing is that we threw her a curveball. We went from 3.32 degrees down to 3.59 degrees. We increased the angle of descent, totally, totally obliterating the FAA's cons constant descent approach or CAMPA constant angle non-precision approach as defined in the advisory circular. The G1000 in the caravan doesn't know any difference. It has no idea. All it can do is mathematically derive a new poor man's glide slope reaching this point. The magenta line switches over. This becomes white. This becomes your active leg. This new glide slope is now calculating based on the only data that it has and the airplane tries to follow this. Glide slope, the vertical glide slope of the VGSI that's published on the chart that's non-coincident, not only is it non-coincident, doesn't even exist. This airport hasn't even had this thing turned on for more than four years, and you got this tower sticking out here at, at 118 feet. The whole entire approach is completely unsafe. It's completely illegal. FAA has a word, uh, has an acronym FS, Flight standards. Standards are the standards, the gold standards. We use the standards for pilots, for approaches, for aircraft. Everything has to be standardized. Everything has to be certified. This has to be a certified approach. The only problem we have with this is that the LNAV dive and drive approach was built before they ever thought about building all this. After all this got built, nobody ever went back and analyzed this and figured out that this stack is actually completely illegal. Actually, the FAA did look at this in 2017. I'll show you that document. They published all the stacks that they found that were in exceedance. There's, there's another eight stacks in here, not quite as tall as this, but all of them were published as exceeding criteria. In other words, illegal. Can't do this approach. So there's... There's how we used math. We used Sokotoa, sinus opposite over hypotenuse, cosinus adjacent over hypotenuse, tangent is opposite over adjacent. You can do the same thing. You can go on Google and do an inverse tangent of these numbers, come up with the same numbers. But we, we definitely increased the angle right here. G1000 definitely picked up the new information and caused the airplane to dive. Brittany definitely lowered the nose and tried to catch a glide slope that all of a sudden took a dive on her. That's what it did. She still had field in sight. Of course she did, but she's also following the poor man's glide slope like anybody would and did not see the tower. By the way, the tower was not lit. It's supposed to be lit. The tower was not lit, and there was steam out here. The tower was actually hidden inside the steam, and it was not lit. No way to see it, no way to know it was in there. The ground's white, she's flying in snow, and the tower's white. Totally unfair. Let's go back to uh, the office. Amazon Ads helps you reach your audience while they're tuning into all their creative passions on Twitch. Are you getting my good side? 
pour a thin layer of mint covered in smooth, dark chocolate. <sighs> Try York Mints. Towers White. Totally unfair. Let's go back to uh, the office. All right, back in the office. I know what you're going to tell me. You're going to tell me that you can't follow a glide slope on a non-precision approach. I'm aware of that. Stabilized approach criteria says that you got to have something to help you stay on speed on the appropriate path. Without a VASI, under those conditions, you only have to have one of these 10 things. I got them on the screen right here for a non-precision approach. In order to leave MDA, you have to have one of these 10 things listed. Easy. You could definitely have field in sight or any one of these in sight and legally leave MDA, which Brittany did. Now, once you leave MDA, boy, it's difficult to tell if you're high or low. All you know is that your speed's okay. You could be 100 high or 100 low and not know it. Following that poor man's glide slope is a really good idea for guidance. We used to do it in the heavy, big airplanes, 7.5 and 7.6 approaches. Now, this is before the days of WAS and RNP and things like that, but we used to set vertical speed at 700 and follow the flight director down just to kind of keep us generally on an approximate 700 foot per minute path. You got to have some kind of a guidance or some kind of a wag. And the Garmin G1000 poor man's glide slope displayed is advisory only. It's there for a reason. But when you follow it, you need to know that it's not going to change angles midstream. And in this particular case, it does. If you're a pilot, instrument pilot, airline pilot, flight instructor, double I, I'd like to get your opinion on it. Go on, try this. This is the only approach that I'm about to show you right now. This is the only one I've ever actually tried it on. And it definitely, uh, the glide slope indicator, the advisory glide sloper, definitely took a dive, went all the way to the floor upon reaching the intermediary fix. It went all the way down. It would have caused me to push very aggressively on the nose to try to catch the poor man's glide slope upon reaching the the last step down fix prior to the missed approach point. Let's go out to the airplane now and uh, actually go fly this thing. Uh, the video is not very good. Uh, the conditions were horrible, but uh, I'm going to show you what it looked like inside the airplane. I'm going to show you this. Uh, uh, this is on the GTX 750 uh, in the, inside the Cessna 210, but it's the exact same thing, and the indicator is exactly the same, and it worked exactly perfect. Let's go check it out. Good. Yep. Your DG is good. Yeah, well, let's just see what we can okay. get. I think you're going to get a thousand, but uh, probably an early right-hand turn if they'll allow it would uh, would help us. Okay. And uh, Twin Falls Tower, Centurion two two one seven Romeo, holding short Alpha one. Uh, we'd like an early right turn out if we could. Centurion two two one seven Romeo, Twin Falls Tower, Romeo two six. We're currently showing the IFR at the moment, showing nine hundred broken.
Burley. Due east of here for Burley. Yeah, I think, I think the light's going to be okay. Okay. All right, everything's in the green. I'll help you monitor. Okay. Definitely clear for takeoff. with really good visibility, unlike what uh, Brittany has. They rigged this phone yeah. so I can't pause it, it. and then they put okay. these crappy ads in there. Who pays attention you. to them? Good. You can just keep on going. You're exactly. Okay. You're showing 
Center here, center here, looking good. I'd keep a little bit of power in there, probably keep 19 inches in, looks good. Approach flaps is good. And if it's okay with you, we're going to shoot this approach since we're not going all the way down, we're not landing, we're just going to leave gear up, we're just going to fly through the approach, okay. go back to Twin Falls. Okay. You're on the center line. Conditions were worse for her. Okay, we're over Hicklow. She had to use not visual. Leave your power just 
like it is. Oh, okay, just push it over. Yep. Just keep, just keep your wings level right here. Nice and easy, both the course. Our setting, so I keep a little more power in. Yeah, just keep 20 inches, you're okay. okay. All right. I want your ADI, you gotta keep wings level here. Okay, yep. Now see your above glide slope. So start coming down, you're clear down to 4,800 here. There's the earth again out there. There, now see how that glide slope? You're coming up on the next fix here. Looking good, keep on coming. I got, I got good ground contact here, keep okay. coming. Take a peek out the windshields. There you go. All right. So get it. Should I push it over a little more? Yeah, push it over a little more. Okay. Get back in there. Yep. See how that glide slope? That glide slope took a dive right yeah. there. Yep. Inside the Hicklow, the glide slope took a dive. Yep. Is what it did. Have I caught up with it yet? Or? You have not caught up with it yet. It's, it's still low. It's still driving you to go lower. Okay. And there's the runway right there to the left. Yep, there it is. There you go. And we're we're still we're still high. Yeah. Come on to the left a little bit. We're still high, and that stack would have been right at your right wing right now. You wanna go back and get another picture of that? No, we're okay. Okay. We got we did very well. Okay. We did very well. Alright, you can go back up again, just ease a little bit of power in. Come on back up. And let's go out to the right out here and follow the Snake River this way. And I'm going to set your course back to Twin Falls. Why are so many aviation and aerospace companies locating in Greater Fort Lauderdale? We leave the sky. And to make things even more challenging at this airport, there is no Vazi or Pappy to runway 20. Also, there is no charted VDP or visual descent point on the chart to tell pilots at which point to start a normal descent from the MDA to arrive at the runway. So pilots have to figure out for themselves whether or not they are high or low as they make a visual approach to runway 20. So this pilot had a huge set of challenges. Not only was there light snow and mist reported, the visibility was at the one mile minimums and there was no visual glide slope indicator or a VDP to assist with the landing. On this approach, the aircraft maintained a very consistent speed of 120 to 130 knots from the intermediate fix until a three mile final where it gradually slowed to 80 knots. This meant that instead of descending at 1,000 feet per minute on the first approach, the descent rate for the second approach was typically 5 to 600 feet per minute, and only briefly reached 1,100 feet per minute when the aircraft was about 5 miles from the runway, approaching the final approach fix Hicklow. The rules for designing instrument approaches permit at most one step-down fix inside the FAF, and this approach does have a step-down fix at Jamid, which is about 1.6 miles from the runway. The obstacle in question appears to be a radio tower, located over a mile from the airport. There are no other obstacles charted on the approach chart between Jamid and the airport. Some pilots have pointed out that there are a number of stacks on the building the plane crashed onto and have suggested that the plane hit one of those stacks. 
People who live in the area say that's unlikely as the stacks appear undamaged, though one ladder that goes up to a tower on the roof appears bent. The stacks are not marked on the approach plate. The accident aircraft crossed Jamit at exactly 4,800 feet at 103 knots. At this point, the aircraft was arguably on a very stable approach to the airport at the correct height and the appropriate airspeed. With visibility reported at two miles, the airport should have been in sight at Jamid and the plane should have been able to land successfully. There are just two flight data points in flight aware after Jamid. One is at about 0.9 nautical miles from the runway and the other is at about 0.45 nautical miles, which will be less than 200 feet from the crash site at 0.42 nautical miles from the runway. At the first of these points, the aircraft had dropped 300 feet to 4,500 feet, which was 60 feet below minimums, suggesting the pilot had the airport in sight at this point, which would make sense as the aircraft was less than a mile from the airport. It had a descent rate of about 670 feet per minute, and it was descending on a 4.1 degree slope just slightly higher than the 3.75 degree slope from the MDA to the airport. The aircraft's speed was about the same at 80 knots. What did change was the descent rate. The aircraft was now descending at 860 feet per minute on a 6.5 degree slope, more than double the typical 3 degree descent angle at most airports, and substantially higher than the 3.7 degree slope called for on this approach. The wreckage came to rest on the flat roof of the Gem State Potato Processing Plant, which is located almost exactly on the extended center line of runway 20. That building is about 0.42 nautical miles from the start of the pavement for runway 20. It appears the pilot pushed forward on the yoke in the last 20 seconds of the flight for reasons that may never be known. It appears the pilot pushed forward on the yoke in the last 20 seconds of the flight for reasons that may never be known. Well, I think we got a pretty good idea now why Brittany pushed forward on the yoke in the last 20 seconds of the flight is because she was trying to get down to this short runway. The approach, the LNAP-20, does not have plus V. It's not an LPV and it's not an ILS. you got to have some kind of vertical guidance to help you get down to the short runway. The FAA built a VASI, a 3.75 degree angle VASI, in order to help you get down. Remember, the charted visual portion of any instrument approach is still part of the instrument approach. You have to stay red over white even after you break out and see the runway or the field in sight. And that's exactly what she did. However, there was no VASI out there to see. She relied on cockpit G1000 advisory glide slope, unbeknownst to her, unbeknownst to me, unbeknownst to all of us, don't follow the advisory glide slope because it's doing its own math and the angle that it's computing is not the angle that's going to keep this safe. The only possible way to shoot this approach safely is the dive and drive method. Level off at MDA and drive in until you see red over white, 3.75 degrees, then follow that down. That's the only way to safely conduct this approach. Without this VASI, which the city of Burley unplugged, this is an illegal and unsafe approach. You cannot conduct this approach without that VASI. And it has been done. You can you can do it, but not legally. This is not a legal approach, and I'm, I'm totally shocked that the FAA has allowed this to happen. I've got all the correspondence, all the email, all the traffic, all the conversations, all the names of the players. You know, Gem State Processing, they had two problems, EPA and FAA. EPA wanted that tower up at 120. FAA wanted it down below 50. What did Gem State do? They lied to both of them. They told the EPA it was taller than it was. They told the FAA it was shorter than it was. They're stuck between two government agencies with a 
processing plant very close to an airport. They had to lie to both of them to tell them what that tower was. They fudged the numbers in order to make both agencies happy, and they thought they had it good until this happened. And now, not only has the accident happened, now Dan's on the warpath. Dan's going to tell everybody exactly what Jim State Processing did here. It's it's completely insane. Not only that, Jim State Processing, the city of Burley, immediately after the accident, now they go and they process this notum. Check this out. Here's the notum on April 13, 2022, published at 1813 Zulu, which is um, exactly three hours and 23 minutes after the impact. Now they give you a notum for an obstruction, which has already been hit at this lat long, and that's the tower that Brittany hit. The lat long shown here is exactly the lat long of where the tower was that she hit. Then they published the notum. Now keep in mind the notum was only on there for a very brief time. Then they got wise and figured out they probably shouldn't publish that notum after the fact, after an accident has already occurred. So they pulled it back down and hid the notum. Fortunately, I got a copy of it, and here it is for you to see, but that's exactly what happened. Um, this has been a long one. I do not mean to get this knee-deep and wrapped up involved with this. It always bothers me when innocent people, I don't care if it's children, dogs, or elderly, or whatever, whenever people who, and Brittany was completely innocent. She did everything what she was supposed to do. She was a good pilot. She did everything exactly like what she was supposed to do. And our government and our government bureaucracy failed us in every way. Our government flew her right into that thing. Brittany did the very best that she could under the circumstances. I'm just totally, uh, I'm upset with the entire thing. I've spent a lot of time on this video. I hope that you'll watch at the end. Um, the Infinger family is going to uh, monitor the comments off this video. If you can afford to give them a comment, um, a, a note of condolence, uh, something, uh, for their family, it would mean a lot. Their family is still struggling with this and having a very difficult time with this senseless loss. I have to end this. Fantastic individual.